0: invite you just to join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is a delight to gather together in worship of you, for the singing of music, for the fellowship that we enjoy one with the other, and for the hearing of your word being read. Lord, may our ears this morning be attuned to your Holy Spirit as you speak to our hearts and our minds. May we come under the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 12 to 32. And this is a record of the early church, part of the the journey that the early church undertook, commencing to read from verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Solomon's colonnade, if you've got in the back of your uh, Bibles maps and uh, pictures, you will see one of the outline of the temple. And you will see that there's a courtyard of the, uh, of the Jews. Then there's a courtyard of the um, the proselytes, the Gentiles and others. And... At that point, there was a colonnade which was called the colonnade of Solomon. That's the point where the apostles gathered. No one else dared join the believers, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled With jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported... We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. In other words, who's to blame? Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, that you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They were. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that we might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him the corollary of that is that God has not given the Holy Spirit to those who disobey him that's the unsaid statement there okay okay Well, whether you realise it or not, all through this year we have had the overall theme of God building his church. The statement of Jesus was, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The work of building the church is God. Okay? And that's been our theme for all this year. And as we consider the role of the Holy Spirit in this work, we discover how God has chosen to do his work through ordinary and even sometimes flawed people. Not only that, often God has chosen to use some of the more unlikely and seemingly improbable people. We only need to look at characters like Moses. Now you know the stories of Moses. You might think, oh, he was a mighty man of God. Well, Moses was a very unlikely person before he started his ministry because Moses was a murderer and an outcast from his own people and the the Egyptian people who had adopted him. That makes him an unlikely person for godly service. And of course there's Mary, a fifteen year old girl in an out of the way place called Nazareth. That's an I mean so that's like sort of talking about Oh where? Sorry? Careful? Hmm yeah. Well, some of the out of way places of Victoria. Is that okay? Okay, thanks. (laughs) This 15-year-old girl from Nazareth who had become pregnant before she was married. That's the reality. And yet she became the mother of our Lord Jesus. And what about Saul? This Pharisee of Pharisees who was a violent oppressor and opposer of the early church, but whom God confronted and called to be his champion. A most unlikely choice. And what about Priscilla? Apart from the fact that she was a woman? You know, <laughs> as Some people have that attitude. Priscilla, who with her husband became a leader in the churches at Corinth and Ephesus. And I love the fact that when Paul is writing in the book of Acts about Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila is the husband, Priscilla the wife. In the early phase of their ministry, Aquila is the one who is mentioned first, acknowledging that he has the primacy role in their ministry together. But... After a while, Paul changes and starts saying Priscilla and Aquila, which tells us that Priscilla became the main worker, that Aquila, her husband, was the helper. He supported Priscilla. She was the key person in those churches where they worked. And, of course, another one that I haven't put up there is, of course, you and me. Unlikely as we may be, with our histories and backgrounds and fears and, well, our flaws, nevertheless, God chooses to call even people like you and me. And as we read the record of the growth of the early church we discover that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to take ordinary people like you and me and enable us to do great and wonderful things for God. This, of course, can only happen as we are willing to submit ourselves to the full and complete authority and direction of God in our lives. We can hear the the call of God. We can receive the challenge of God to Christian life and service. But we have to be the ones who say, here I am, Lord. Use even me. We are not, Christians are not mindless robots. We have choice. And we can say no to God as long as you realise that if you say no to God, there are consequences and you miss out on so much that God wants to do in and through you. In our reading today, we discover how the Apostle Peter was wonderfully and marvellously used by the Lord. And when Peter was first called by the Lord Jesus, his name was actually Simon. Simon the son of Jonah. In today's parlance, he would be called Simon Jonasson. That would be his name today, Simon Jonasson. He was a Galilean fisherman from the town of Bethsaida. And it was the Lord Jesus who gave him the nickname in Greek... Petros, Petros, which simply means little pebble. It does not mean rock. It does not mean rock. When Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was the rock that confession of Peter. Peter himself was nicknamed Little Pebble, which is an unusual nickname. But Jesus gave him this nickname because Simon, son of Jonah, or now Peter, could be a rather annoying and uncomfortable presence, much like when a pebble gets caught in your shoe or sandal. You know what it's like? I hate wearing thongs and sandals walking along the beach because you invariably get a pebble stuck in under there and it bruises your sole of your foot. I hate that. When I go to the beach, I wear a full shoe. Anyone else does the same? I know it still gets in but not as easily. And I have been thinking of having plastic bags up to my knees. (laughs) Wellingtons, yes. But Peter was like this. Peter was just that kind of character who could really get under your skin, really annoy you. You know, he would provoke you. He was the... He was a fiery, spontaneous character who called things as they were or as he saw them. And this was a trait which can be rather annoying and a trait which sometimes got him into trouble. And you can just imagine Peter going up to people and just doing all the stuff that was culturally insensitive and politically inappropriate at the time. You know talking to people about Jesus. Oh, I don't want to talk about Jesus. Well, that's rather interesting. Why Why do you not want to talk with me about Jesus? Oh, shut up and go away. Oh, why should I shut up and go away when I want to talk to you? And he'd just go on and on and he'd get at people. This is the kind of person that Peter was. He was a pebble that gets in your shoe and annoys you. And you have to do something about it. Peter was the character that evoked responses from people and not always a good response. As Peter came to know the Lord Jesus, of course, and as he matured as a person, it was these traits that enabled him to be a bold and courageous advocate for the Lord and Peter was certainly mightily used by God. He became effectively the one of the spokespersons for the early church. In our reading this morning, in verse 14, we read how the early church grew rapidly. In verse 14, we read, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Oh, that we would see this kind of response from our communities today. We rejoice as we see the ones and the twos, but I would love to see the tens and the hundreds. Certainly people need to know the Lord Jesus. It's just that our culture is entertaining them so well now that they're not giving serious thought to the important things of life now. To be sure, these days must have been very exciting times, but also a lot of hard work for the apostles to disciple, teach, and equip the people in their new life in Christ Jesus. They must have been literally run off their feet, let alone the practical issues of hundreds of baptisms, arranging meeting places for the people to gather for worship and study of the Bible, to swap stories of the teachings of Jesus, and to organise, of course, the sharing of meals. Not only that, as we read in verse 12... God was doing an amazing work through the apostles. And in verse 15, we we read this. They, that is the people, brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. What an amazing thing to do. What an amazing thing to do. And let's face it, they would not have done this unless God was doing a mighty healing work in their midst as a demonstration of his love and mercy for them. They wouldn't have been going to the effort of taking the sick and the needy so that the shadow of Peter cast across them unless there was some benefit from it. God was at work because the early church was faithful in doing God's work. And there's a lesson in that for us. Truly, it was a wonderful time for the early church as people put off their shows of mere religiosity of tradition and ritual and entered into a vital living relationship with God as their saviour and the Lord of their lives. This was radical transformation. Having said all this, there were some who did not rejoice in this spiritual revival and renewal. You always have the detractors. You always have the opposers. But that doesn't stop you doing the work of God. We know that there's always going to be those who will stand up in opposition to us. And these people were the legalists and the traditionalists. Those whose attitude was... This is the way it's been for a thousand years and this is the way it's going to stay. Of course, that was their argument because they wanted to keep the old ways and to maintain the existing order of things because it secured their positions of power and authority and control over the people. Why would they want things to change? Because they were the beneficiaries of the status quo. These were the very same people who had been responsible for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and who had no answer to the Lord's resurrection, which was evidenced by hundreds of people as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15.6. These were the people who could have absolutely shut down the whole ministry of the early church. All they had to do was produce the body of Jesus because they were the ones who had put the guard at the tomb. They were the ones who who were responsible for securing the body of Christ. All they had to do was produce it. And the whole Christian movement would have been dead overnight. But they could not because the body was no longer there because Jesus was risen. And they knew it. They had the report of the guards. They knew exactly what had happened. And still, they would not acknowledge that God was doing something in their midst. The only recourse for the, for the legalists and traditionalists to the rise of the early church Was intimidation and suppression. All to maintain their control. And in verses 17 and 18, we read how they arrested the apostles and had them put into prison. No charge. There was no charge because the apostles hadn't done anything wrong, it was an abuse of power. And it would seem that after 2,000 years, this tactic of brutal suppression of the followers of the Lord Jesus is still being employed to silence the message of the good news of salvation and hope in the Lord Jesus. Even today, even today, we see this tactic being employed in parts of Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Europe and even Australia, where attempts are constantly being made to intimidate and silence every expression of faith in the name of Jesus. When, I think I may have said this to different groups before, but when we are in China, I met for a meal one day with a young man who had only just got out of prison. He'd been put into prison for about uh, 10 to 14 days, He'd been starved. He'd been abused and beaten. He'd been arrested in his home group. The PSB had invaded the home group. They had lined all those who were gathered, which were about 30 to 40. They had been told to line up along the walls and to sit down. They were not allowed to look at one another. All of their phones were confiscated and looked at who were they contacting. All right? All their connections. And then the leaders of that home group, and there were three men, the leaders of that home group were taken away by the authorities and put into jail for nearly a fortnight. They were starved, they were beaten, they were abused. And the day that this young man, one of the leaders, came out of prison, I met with him, and I had a meal with him. It was the first meal he'd had for nearly a fortnight. And he told me, personally, everything that had happened to him. The intimidation, the violence. It's happening today in our lifetime. Even in Australia, where the authorities now will not allow us to hand out Bibles in the schools. What's wrong with the Bible? The teachings of the Bible are about truth and honesty and integrity and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, but you're not allowed to now. We're not allowed to go in and teach the children about the Lord Jesus and you try and stand up in Melbourne, try and stand up in a public place and talk about Jesus, and you look at all the vilification and all the abuse that will be heaped on you. So much for free speech. This is the world in which we live today. It is as if the socio-political and religious authorities of today are frightened and in fear of what God may be doing in the lives of people and it threatens their sense of social order and control. Rather than embrace it and welcome it, they need to shut it down. And as we consider these many terrible situations, we have to ask ourselves one very important question. What was God's response? What was God's response to the arrest and persecution of the apostles? What is God's response to Christians and to churches that are today under attack. In verses 19 and 20, we read this. At night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, this Christian life. God did not rain fire and brimstone onto those who had rejected him and afflicted his church. That was not God's response. God did not cover the opposers and oppressors with boils or afflict them with all manner of diseases. That is not God's response. No. God's response serves as a lesson for us even today because God did not fight against those who were fighting against him. He merely released the apostles and commanded them to continue their work of proclamation. That's God's response. Continue the work of for which I have called you to do. How credible is this record of God's response? How credible is it? I mean, say, the human response is to lash out at those who hit on us. God did the opposite. Let me tell you the story of Brother Yun from his book, The Heavenly Man. Anyone read this book? I commend it to you. I commend it to you. It is an excellent book. It is very well written, and it speaks of the wonder and glory of God. In the book, Brother Yun in China describes how on the 5th of May 1997, that's just over 30 years ago, he escaped from Zhengzhou Maximum Security Prison in China. He described how after having spent many years in prison and having suffered badly at the hands of his captors, one day he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit telling him to simply walk out of the heavenly guarded prison gates. Just walk out. Risking being shot to death on the spot, he later wrote that he obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit and he walked straight through several prison doors which were left open. Somehow, in front of many prison guards, all the doors had been left open. He walked across the prison yard and finally out of the main gate. And Brother Yun stated that it was as if he had become invisible to the guards who stared straight through him. Although many expressed doubts that such a thing could happen, Some prison guards have since lost their jobs for this embarrassing mishap. Brother Yun remains the only person to have ever escaped from this notorious maximum security prison. And today, Brother Yun is based in Germany and has a powerful ministry of proclaiming hope in the Lord Jesus. His story today is very, very similar to the story of the early apostles as we read in Acts chapter 5. As far as God is concerned, all people need to hear all people need to hear God's message of hope and life and through his Holy Spirit, he will bring conviction to those who are willing seeking, and ready to listen. What this tells us is that the work of the Holy Spirit is not to destroy and condemn, but to guide and lead, to strengthen and encourage, and to bless and multiply. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 21, despite their ordeal at the hands of the authorities, we note that the apostles, like Brother Yun, did exactly as they were commanded to do by the angel of the Lord. The apostles immediately went into the temple court and began to teach the people boldness. And obedience were two of the hallmarks of the leaders in the early church. And it set a godly example for all who followed. And it has set a godly example for us here today. Boldness and obedience. Did you know that a survey was done a number of years ago about uh, people in Australia? Did you know that 70% of Australians are introverts and 30% are extroverts. Hmm. Interesting. God is calling upon his church to stand up and be counted. He's calling upon us to whilst we may be personally introverts, as Christians we are to be extroverts in our witness and proclamation. To be bold and obedient to the Lord. Can you imagine the surprise of the authorities when they called for the apostles to be brought before them from the prison? Only to find that the prisoners had escaped and were actually in the temple courts preaching and teaching. I think that threw them in a bit of a spin. And when the apostles were finally brought before the Jewish authorities, they were furious. And they said to the apostles, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. In actual fact, they had no authority to forbid the apostles talking in the name of Jesus, it was pure intimidation, it was bullying. It was as if the authorities saw themselves as above reproach and above question. They refused to ask themselves if God was doing a work, a mighty work, in their midst and instead saw themselves as the ultimate authority to be obeyed without question. Really, how many chances had they been given to see that God was doing something here. The account of the resurrection, the guards who were at the tomb when the angel opened the tomb door so that they could see that nothing was inside, certainly not the body of Jesus. Jesus had been raised. These guards went back to the authorities. They told them, that something strange and miraculous had happened. But the authorities ignored that. Then you have the rise of the early church. 5,000 people on one day were baptised. And these authorities ignored that. Signs and miraculous wonders were being done by the apostles in the streets in the name of Jesus and the authorities ignored all that how many times had they had opportunity to ask themselves is god doing something here but they chose to ignore it because they were in charge they put god in a box and they were controlling god by their rituals and traditions And they denied that God was free to express himself however he may want. To be sure, hardened hearts do not seek God and the hearts of these authorities were hard, rock hard. Hardened hearts do not submit themselves in prayer nor to the study of the word of God. Hardened hearts do not admit that they have made a mistake mistake, and so seek forgiveness. And despite all the mounting evidences before them, the authorities were defiant in their continuing opposition to the apostles and the Lord Jesus. The response of Peter and the other apostles was very telling and is a template for the expression of our faith walk even today. They said this, we ought to obey God rather than men. And how true is that even for today? We ought to obey God rather than men. It doesn't matter what the authorities say. We ought to obey God. And not 90% holding back 10% just in case. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an all or nothing. When it comes to the crunch, where do you stand today? Will you take the easy way and conform to the world? Or will you hold fast to the things of God? That's the choice. It's simple. It is simple. Will you allow the ungodly forces at work in the world today to intimidate, to manipulate, and to silence you? Remember the words of Peter in verse 32 when he boldly declared, we are God's witnesses to these things. Everything we're proclaiming about the risen Lord Jesus, we are witnesses. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Brothers and sisters, we have the promise and gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to be bold and strong. We do not have to bow to the secular and anti-God worldly forces that seek to silence, bully us and intimidate us. All we need do is trust in the Lord to provide a way for us to continue in his holy service. As we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. All your heart. Are you sure? Trust in the Lord with 90% of your heart. Is that going to be good enough? Not good enough. All means 100%. Everything, No reserve, no plan B, no way of escape. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In most of your ways acknowledge him. Gee, you're making this pretty hard, aren't you? In all... You sure? Thanks, Lorna. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he may direct your paths. He will, he shall direct your path. That's God's promise. You trust him 100% and he will guide you 100%. You know, when I first became a, a Christian, I was... Thought about the importance of the Holy Spirit in my life. That the Holy God gives the Holy Spirit enabling us to live in a Christ-honouring way. And um, I can remember in those early months and years, I regularly prayed, Lord, I'm a hundred percent yours, but I am very flawed. I make lots of mistakes. I'm like Peter. I blurt things out and I know I cause offence and I've got a lot of problems. And so I I asked God, your Holy Spirit has promised to give gifts. There is one gift that I ask for. I ask for the gift of wisdom. Wisdom. Of wisdom. I would like to be so much wiser than what I am, to be wise for the Lord, in service, to be able to help other people. Over the years, I believe God has answered my prayer in part, I don't I'm not really a wise terribly wise person. I don't have the wisdom of Solomon or anything like that. But I am better than I was. And I thank God because that's his doing in my life. That's not me. It is as we daily surrender ourselves to the Lord God that his Holy Spirit will take our meager acts of obedience and service and cause them to multiply in our hearts and minds to those who seek him. Pray that you will be used of God as a conduit that his Holy Spirit may be given to you that you may then Impart the message of God to others. Ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Personally, I think that there are more important gifts. That's a terrible thing to say because all the gifts of God are perfect. But personally, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, The gift of interpretation, yes, they're they're great gifts. But I think the gifts of wisdom, the gift of helps, the gift of listening, some of these gifts are far more practical on a day-to-day basis. Pray, God, that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit and work through you in your bold and obedient service for him. And may he grow his church using even flawed instruments like you and me. May he grow his church such that in the years to come we will see literally hundreds of people going through the waters of baptism and filling this place and even going out and planting new churches may it be to the glory of God Amen Thank you brother
1: Thank you Pastor Bruce I can assure you that you are certainly wiser than me that one I know well we're going to close with this beautiful song Uh, I think it's a prayer that we can all sing to God Uh, shall we rise and sing this beautiful uh, song called Spirit Touch Your Church sing it as a prayer to the Lord shall we Lord we need your grace
2: and mercy we need to pray like never before we need the power of your Holy Spirit to open heaven's door Spirit touch your church stir a man, revive us, Lord, with your passion once again, again. I want to care. care.
1: 2nd verse Father, this is our prayer to you. May your spirit touch this church. May you stir the hearts of men. May this church just not be just a building. Uh, May this church be alive. with people excited for you, living for you, sold out for you, surrender our lives to you and be used by you. We thank you, Lord. You are at work. You are living, God. Help us not to allow the work, our work, our schedule to rob us of the joy that we have in serving you help us to always put you as number one person in our lives as the word says seek me first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest will be given to us, the rest will come to us when we honour you, when we put you first put you first May this be our goal, Lord. Thank you. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and the unfailing love of God, and the empowering presence, fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.